It's time for America's most unique motorsports show, Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys, brought to you by Rod and Supply and the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Mostly Motorsports. I'm Scott Trailer, along with Kirk Elliott. We're the Racing Boys. Todd Surprise helping us today as he always does. He does a great job as a producer of Mostly Motorsports. And uh, Todd, I, I want to start off a little bit today. I want to talk a little bit about um, the passing of Gary Rossington. Uh, one of the uh, legendary guitar players from Leonard Skinner passed away yesterday. He'd been fighting health problems for a long time, hadn't he, bud? <laughs> yeah, that that guy. Um, welcome, everybody, to the show. Yeah, it, um, that old boy, he's been through a lot, hadn't he? I mean, car wrecks. You know, they wrote the song That Smell about him because right. the dude just would crash cars and drink and shoot up and... He was just, he lived a lot of lives, and he, to make it to age 71 after plane crash, and, you know, to be the last sole survivor, to be, uh, to uh, be honest. Is Artemis Powell still alive? Ooh, I don't think, I think he passed away a few years ago. Did I th- he? I think Gary's the last of the last, but let me tell you something. That old boy, he was still playing. You know, you got one of his last CDs that he put out. Yeah. Him and his wife, I think, were on the cover of it, and, um, but yeah, he... He was still playing up until his 70s. You know, he's 71. I think he played in 69. I think he played somewhere not too long ago. And like you said, he did an right. interview not too long ago. But, yeah, he was a really good guitar player. People don't realize, though. Uh, he slowed down a little bit at the end because yeah. he was letting the other guitar players kind of take over some of the lead roles. Most definitely. Right? It's, yeah. a, it's a little tough to keep up playing that. And people don't realize, you know, the Leonard Skinner, that's a three-guitar band. Right. And... um you There's know, a lot of guitars going on. You so. know what? Uh, one of the first concerts I ever saw, Todd, was the Rossington Collins Band. Is that right? Yeah. Saw them over there at uh, Memorial Hall. I'll be damned. I had no idea yeah, you saw that. Yeah, I, I saw them back in the day. That was right after they had the plane wreck. Yeah. And um, Gary Rossington and um, what was the other guy's name? Rossington uh, Collins band. Oh, um, Albert Collins. Albert Collins. No, uh, no, 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 sorry, no. What Albert Collins? Um, uh, no, Alan Collins. Alan, wasn't it? Alan yeah. Collins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Artemis Hile is still alive. So Artemis sounds like he might be the last of the last. The last original, but he wasn't the original drummer. Bob Burns was the ori- exactly. original drummer. So they're like you may say. Actually, Gary may be the actual last of the originals, but. Yeah, um, yeah, because that says uh, he wasn't, and Artemis wasn't part of the farewell tour either. So, like I said, I don't know exactly what all went on with, with that. But yeah, I hated hearing, hearing that. Matter of fact, I believe I I saw a Facebook post last night, and uh, from from Leonard Skinner posted on their Facebook page, and I was number forty to the page that they'd posted i'd already i went to do a yahoo search and it hadn't even been on yahoo it wasn't even oh, on really yeah um nothing so it hadn't even been posted yet so it had happened last night i'd say maybe in the evening time i can't remember when it was but yeah it, they they posted to their social media page immediately last night before it went to anybody so that was how they kind of announced it to the world last night so uh yeah uh, you know a lot of people used to always 
flip out when people would say, "Play Freebird." Play Freebird. Right. You know. You know. I went to. Uh, I won a contest in school doing radio and TV one time, and I got to go down to uh, Q104 back in, in the day when it was a rock station. Yeah, back do you remember Q104 those days? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. do remember it. Anyway, long story short is that I got to sit in there with Ray Sherman. Do you remember, remember Ray, Ray Sherman? Yep, I yeah, do. I I sat in there, and you could not believe how many people would call and play say, Freebird. play Leonard Skinner's Freebird. Or um, Sweet Home Alabama. Or, or, or Sweet Home Alabama. But, you know, uh, there was a lot of Led Zeppelin people back oh, yeah. in those well, days, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember back in the day when they'd have the countdown right. of the top whatever. It was almost a guarantee it was going to be a Zeppelin song or a Skinner song or, or what have you through the day. But uh, what they released, it was 17 hours ago. It's with deepest uh, our deepest sympathy and sadness that we have to advise we, that we lost our brother, family, our friend, family member, songwriter, and guitarist Gary Rosenton today. Gary is now with Skinner Brothers and Family in Heaven and playing it pretty, as he always does. So when they would say play it pretty, that means that was what um, the singer used to always tell them. Play it pretty for Atlanta. Play it pretty for me. Yeah. And that's what, so that's what, the, that's what that is. So please keep Dale, Ma- uh, Mary, Annie, and the rest of the Rollington Rosenton family in your prayers and respect the family privacy at this difficult time. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. That, that it, it's that's a sad day for me to be honest yeah. with you. Kirk, did you see? Kirk saw him in 1976. See, so Kirk, I saw assume him. he would have been on the stage at that time. Absolutely, right? he would have been on the stage Absolutely. at that time. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know all the names of the band members. Sh- certainly knew Ronnie Van Zandt, who died in that plane crash. So uh, Gary Rossington was on that plane when that went down. <laughs> yeah, and he survived yeah. it. Let me tell you something. They you... were lucky that so many people survived in that plane exactly. crash. Exactly, because. A lot of people survived that plane crash. And if people don't know, you go back and read the history about that plane. Aerosmith didn't want that. Said, "I we're not getting on that." Yeah, it's too big a a pile of crap. Yeah, Yeah. they knew it was junk. When this happened, nineteen seventy-seven. Yep. So and they in seventy-six. And they've got so they've taken the the tree just started. I think they just took the tree down that they hit down there in that in that louisiana you know down there in that swamp right and uh, it's awful you know who owns that that's a chicken farm down there there's plenty of documentaries about that oh, plane yeah. crash yeah. yeah yeah you could go down a rabbit hole with that so mm-hmm. yeah i hate to hate hearing that but uh put out some very good music that'll last a very long time yeah no doubt about it what was your favorite leonard skinner song kurt free bird mine was ballad of um Darn it! The ballot, the Curtis Lowe. Curtis Lowe. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite song, <laughs> yeah. man. I don't know why. Um, I mean, there's a ton of songs, but the ballad of Curtis Lowe was. I like the songs that tell a story back in right. the day. And Ronnie some, Van Zant was really good at telling yeah, stories. Yeah, that's it's yeah. just Bob Seger. All those guys, those are storyteller type of musicians. Uh, Jim Croce. All those guys were storytellers, and those are the types that. I kind of you back know. in those days. That's yeah, that and, was big, and I like and I. There was a lot of you know people don't know this about, but you know the band, the the hair band Warrant. That guy, the singer for him, he had a ton of songs and sold a bunch of songs. But his music was all about storytelling, and I and like you said, that it's harder to do to tell a story and make it rhyme. Jim and Jim Croce was good at that. I love Jim Croce. Yeah. Thanks to my dad Boy, and my he mom. He left us way too soon. Didn't Absolutely. He? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, not 
this is mostly motorsports, so we are talking about everything sometimes. And that's, like you said, the news dictated this morning that we talk about old Gary Rosington. So, yeah, I've got the autographed picture that you gave me of him that you got out of your CD. Remember, you bought a CD right, or something. Yeah. And, but, yeah, I think it's sitting in my car, as a matter of fact. That, uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I just give my daughter all my albums the other day. Is that right? And one of the albums that I give her was the Double Live yeah, album. Yeah, I remember. You showed me those. And I, I, I had uh, Leonard Skinner, pronounced Leonard Skinner. Yep. And I had a couple other uh, Leonard Skinner albums, and I give them to my daughter just the other day. That concert that night back in 1976, that ranks up in the top five or six of the most memorable I of bet. my lifetime. I bet it does. How great that was. And then the significance of the band, you know, the history of the band. At the time, you probably don't really understand what you're you're seeing, you know what I mean? Because you're living in that moment. But knowing that you were there before the plane crash and saw all that, that's amazing. So Mm -hmm. That concert that night, it was at Hilton Coliseum in Ames. And we, it was on a Saturday night. We watched a football game. We went to a football game that day right next to to Hilton so right that was uh, September of 1976 and uh, at that time Leonard Skinner was huge they were big in and the a mid-70s group called Head East opened up for him that night yeah so I mean it was uh Head East were, was big back here in the day yeah. I mean yeah they were a big Midwest band Leonard yeah, Skinner they were. was about as big as it gets as far as I'm concerned yeah no doubt about it um well there there you have it um, so just talking about uh, a little bit about Leonard Skinner. Well, that's and, big news to us. Maybe yeah. not to everybody that's listening to this show, right. but it's right. big news to us. Right. So we were big fans. Anyway, um, Kirk, last night, um, we had some pretty good sprint car action going on. And, um, I, I, I got to say that Brian Brown looked really good last night. He was he fast qualifier. Night. Wasn't he fast qualifier? Yes, he was fast by quite a bit. Uh, set quick time and finished he, he fifth ran in a, the first he, day he, of Maine and third in the second. He ran 13.65 with a two, and Buddy Kofoid ran a 13.80 with a six. So that's about two-tenths faster than everybody else. Right. So... Uh, Chad Morgan is back working with Brian again. Of course, Danny was there. Brian had the best of both worlds. Not only did he have Danny still helping out last night, but he's got Chad Morgan back with him, who uh, had been away for a year. He went over and helped Ayrton Jeniton for a year. Now he's back. Right. And so uh, the number 21 Casey's FB feet car was working pretty solid last night. Uh, the track was much different the second race than yeah, it was the first. It was. I thought they were kind of riding around the cushion uh, more so in the Just second race. Just ripping the lip a lot. The first, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. ripping the lip. Uh, but I thought maybe Brian had a chance to even get second place. He had got a great restart there at the last after that uh, incident with Carson Macedo's tire blew and caused a problem there with David Gravel and and Joey Allen. David Gravel got some uh, wing damage, and um, Jacob Allen also got some win- uh, wing damage last night as well. James McFadden, that was his sixth World of Outlaw win. Yeah, and he'd won uh, last fall, last October out of here at Lakeside Speedway, drank out of the shoe, only this time after he won, he went up on top of the wing to drink out of his shoe. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big win for James McFadden in the nightcap last night. Uh, and Carson Macedo pulling off that big win in the first race of the night. Logan Schuart wins the Gator Championship because that makeup race was from a month ago to finish out the uh, Gator title. I thought maybe David Gravel was going to pull that off because he won both those World of Outlaw races in February, but with his issues he had in that uh, race last night, getting caught up when Macedo's tire blew and got into it with Jacob Allen, that cost him that Gator title. Logan Schuart was able to uh, hold up the big Gator last night. but There was a second there when I thought Brian Brown was going to run second in that race. He got a good restart on, yeah. that, uh, on that restart, and then they – a caution come out, and that relegated him back to his starting position, and he ended up running fifth last night to Carson Macedo. Yeah, Gio Selsey's car stalled there. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if he would have got around James McFadden, but I think he would have certainly held on to second had that uh, stuck. The hard charger of the night, obviously, is Donnie Schatz. He started 21st and ended up running 7th last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The big news last night, not only uh, for the 100th win for Ross Racing, for Roth, Dennis Roth, Roth Racing. Dennis Roth. Dennis Roth. Uh, it was also the first win for Toyota Power in the World of Outlaws last night. Wow. So that's big. That is big. You positive they were yeah. running the, that Toyota motor? They were running the Toyota engine last night. How so. about that? First win for Toyota, James McFadden. They're going to go at it tonight at Volusia Speedway Park. It's a Sunday-Monday show and one feature tonight to right. wrap things up. And then next weekend, they're heading to Port Royal Speedway for Friday-Saturday night on the big half mile up there. Yep, that would be good. Um Chase Rodman is going to be joining us here in just a little bit. We'll be talking to him about what happened last night down at Volusia. James McFadden picking up the win, um, the 100th win for Dennis Roth, and then Carson Macedo picking up the win last night as well. Um, You know, right there at the end of that race, I thought maybe David Gravel might. David Gravel is so good at getting around Volusia that I thought there was a chance that Carson Macedo might lose that race to David Gravel last night. Uh, there was possibility, and had Gravel pulled that off, there's only two other drivers in the history of the World of Outlaws that's won the first three races of the season. Steve Kinzer would be one of them, and I forgot who the other driver was, but uh, only two other drivers have done that. David Gravel came one spot from doing it last night. Right. No doubt about it. Casey Kane had a good run. Really good run. He finished third last night. But uh, Logan Schuhart, he ended up running fourth. Brian Brown was fifth. James McFadden, uh, the first feature winner of the night, he ended up running sixth last night. Sixth in the first race and win the nightcap. Right. So it, uh, the track was a lot different than it was in February, didn't you think? I, and it was certainly different the first race than it was the second race. They came out and reworked it for the second race, and it was more – kind of riding the cushion in that nightcap. But I thought the track uh, not quite as good as it was a month ago, in my opinion. Right. And especially 
at the beginning of the night, we didn't see hardly any passing at all. It was very narrow so, look, in the heat races and the dash and just didn't really widen out to get much passing done early in the night at all. So there, there, there you have it right there on that restart where Brian Brown went up there and got around Brad Sweet for second place. And then the caution come out, and there was no chance at that point Geo Selzy had the problem there on the racetrack. I don't know what his problem was. Some kind of mechanical problem of some sort. Didn't look like a tire went down, but he had some kind of an issue there. But, yeah, instead of finishing second, he finished third. So that really cost him one spot, them throwing the yellow on that uh, restart. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have gotten around McFadden. But uh, I think he would have held on for second for sure, I believe. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about um, Brandon Overton and Chris Madden getting into it. Man, oh, man. You know that track at Cherokee Speedway down there in South Carolina? They ran these day. It's a day show, and it was a rubber-down racetrack. There were a lot of tires going down. looked like Mike Marler was going to win that race. He had a tire go down. Everybody had a tire go down, including Chris Madden. And I'm not sure what Brandon Overton was upset about. Uh, Overton, you know, Madden had a tire go down. He got up into him. There's not very much room that you can race there. But I, I think, think what really caught, I think what really uh, angered Overton is that Madden turned into Overton while they were stopped there on the racetrack, and then they got into it down in the pits. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll show that uh, incident a little bit later in the show. Um, there it is right there. There's a, a, a pretty good view of them right there, bumping chest. I think there's previous history between these two guys to have that happen, don't you think? They might not like each other anyway. You think that's possible? I, I don't know, Kirk. I don't know. I just I I, 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 I'm not going to say that they don't like each other because I don't know that for a fact. Well, I read a story on uh, Dirt on Dirt this morning. Robert Holman, who I don't know if he was at the event. Apparently he was. And uh, he said that uh, these two guys, he, it, I'll, I'll just quote here one of the quotes here. He says, I could tell something happened to Chris because his car laid down. That's uh, Chris Ferguson, the eventual race winner, mm-hmm. said, when his car laid down, I shot at because everybody was going for the same real estate on those restarts, and it took him forever on right. a lap 36 restart to get going. Uh, but, and then uh, here's. Uh, Here's a quote from Overton. He said, I don't know what happened. Honestly, that's what happens when you race in rubber. That's the shit you get. I done started beside Chris for six restarts in a row, and I never touched him, not one time. And when he gassed up and started coming across the track, all you can do, I can't move. I'm letting off of it, letting off of him, and here he comes right around the nose, And then he wants to blame me. He might have had a flat tire right in front before we ever got into each other. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So Hmm. uh, he said, we're magnets. He said, we're magnets. Every time we run, we're around each other. We're going to run into each other every time. It doesn't matter where we're at. He could be in North Dakota. It's the same kit every time. It is what it is. It all boils down to your double file on the restarts on a track that there's 
one piece of property to be at. It's our own fault for even coming. We try to support this shit because there's so many people that come and do right, and that's what happens. You get all your shit all wadded up, and everybody is all mad and pissed off, but it is what it is. It was probably going to come down to me or him anyways, so it is what it is, unquote. That is Brandon Overton. And, and Mike Marler had a right front flat as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I think everybody had a tire go down. That's the most cuss words I've ever heard Kirk say in one, I know in it. one setting. Have you ever heard him say that? <laughs> no, I haven't. I mean, I was I've like, never heard him cuss on the air. I've have you? It, I'm just uh, just during that. no. No, I'm just reading a quote. No, I know, but it was just funny hearing. He even had a hard time doing it. it yeah, no, he's he kind of stuttered when he went through his, it. Didn't his he? broad, his professional, his professional that's right. mind would not allow him to say that. The professional broadcast in him would not allow, <laughs> but he had to do it. Yeah, Good so, stuff, Kurt. All that's right. from. Uh, Dirt on Dirt, they, they've got it all covered in Dirt Late Model Racing. If you want to read that, if you're a subscriber, you can read all about it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Chase Rodman is going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened down at Volusia last night. Uh, a, a really long run happened in that first, uh, uh, in that second race. Carson Macedo picks up the win. We'll talk to Chase about that and more right here on Mostly Motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply. Featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. We'll be right back with more on RBN, the Racing Boys Broadcasting Network. You're listening to Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Missouri's must play Osage National Three nine-hole courses to choose from at the Lake of the Ozarks in the Osage River Valley. Stay and play packages in our first-class condos. A beautiful clubhouse complete with pro shop and exercise facilities. A large pool for relaxation and families. The Eagle View Sports Bar and Grill. Great wedding facilities. Go online and make your tea time today. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Especially sportswear in-house. We do all of the screen printing, all the embroidery. We do some vinyl. The other add specialty items like your pens, magnets, notepads, calendars. You can actually buy that, build your business to make it larger. We have the largest screen printing process and the largest embroidery anywhere around in the area. We can do stuff all the way from your school clubs to sports teams, a professional look in the office. If you can imagine it, we can do it for you. 
Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and Radius Rods. And specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round, for you to come in and check out all of the wonderful race cars on display in the museum. And our online store at SprintCarStuff.com is open 24 hours a day for you to check out everything that we have in stock for Sprint Car fans. Whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas, SprintCarStuff.com has it all. That's at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com, serving the racing community for over 30 years. Welcome back to Mostly Motorsports. I'm Scott Trailer, along with Kirk Elliott. We're the Racing Boys. And joining us now is one of the best pit reporters in the business. Chase Rodman joins us today on the show. Chase, how you doing? Hey, Scott. We're doing good here. Uh, just getting ourselves ready for some Monday night racing down here in Volusia. It's another uh, really nice day here. Sun's out, a little bit of clouds, but uh, can't complain to be in Florida in March, you know, I was in Ohio before I came here, and it was yeah. cold and raining, so can't complain. Yep. Um, last night, let's start off with talking about James McFadden picking up the 100th win for Dennis Roth last night. It was his sixth world of outlaw win. Um, that was a pretty exciting race. You know, there was at one point there that I thought that Brian Brown, when he got that good restart, um, he got up to second. He got past Brad Sweet. And it looked like that it, it it might turn out in his favor to run second, but uh, Geo had a problem there and, and brought out the caution, and that put Brian Brown back to the back a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised there, and I think Brown in his podium interview mentioned that he went from like sixth to second or something, or he passed a bunch of cars on that restart. Yeah, uh, and he was he was making it exciting there, and then obviously that yellow didn't help him out too much. But yeah, that was a big deal for for James yesterday, not only for you know, Roth's 100 win, you know, I mean, that's a huge deal in and of itself. But Toyota getting their first win as a, you know, as an engine builder, uh, as far as 410 engines go, that was huge for them. And then just, I mean, that's a huge shot in the arm, I feel like, for that whole team after having to wait, you know, 65 races or something like that to win a race last year. To win one in the first four this year, uh, I think that's going to, you know, really take a lot of stress off them. And, you know, they've got one out of the way, and now they don't have to worry about getting one. Now they can focus on, on getting, you know, five or, or eight or something like that throughout the rest of the year. So just a huge win in a lot of different aspects there yesterday. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and, and at one point during that race, uh, Carson Macedo, David Gravel, and Jacob Allen, they all got together. Uh, take us through that, that portion of the race right there. 
Yeah, I, I didn't really see what exactly happened with Jacob and David, but I did see, you know, I was watching Carson when it happened, and the left rear just absolutely exploded. And I think maybe there was a checkup or something. I didn't get to see the replay, but then somebody was telling me that David was, was trying to slide by Jacob and maybe wasn't clear, and then they got together. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure, but, you know, obviously they had to – uh, they were just everybody's trying to make as many moves as they can, especially when the racetrack was how it was yesterday. It was just super fast all night. It was tough to pass. You know, the first race it was around the bottom fast, and then that got burned off, and then it was around the top fast, and the next one, right? You know, so every every chance that a guy had to make a pass, they they were taking it. And we saw gravel, uh, you know, trying to make that pass on Jacob, and you know, I didn't get to see it, but it sounded like maybe. A little bit of the two close quarters action, and then at the same time, Carson blowing that tire was just a, a bad mix of things. And then, you know, five five platinum drivers all into the work area at the same time. It was it was pretty chaotic there for a moment. You're a pretty studious guy. I'm going to ask you a question. How many teams have a hundred wins in the world of outlaws? Do you know that? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but you know, I'd have to think there there can't be too many. You know, uh, Casey Kane Racing is definitely one of them. Uh, obviously, Tony Stewart Racing is one of them. Uh, uh, man, you know, obviously Steve Kinzer and uh, you know Sammy Swindell, those teams that they ran for. Uh, you know, Steve's own team, I should say. Um, you know, those guys are up there, but I feel like maybe that's the four. I can't think of another one. Right. Uh, off the top of my head, uh, you know, I'd have to check into that, but there can't be more than five or six, I would have to think. It proves the, the dedication that Dennis Roth has for the world of outlaws, doesn't it? Oh, man, yeah. I, I mean, I think there was a year or two where, you know, he didn't run, but he still had his car in California running. He's just he's just dedicated to sprint car racing, you know, and you love yeah. to see that. There's been some, obviously, there's been some, some low times throughout their, uh, their world of outlaws, you know, history, you know, where they go a long time without winning or they you know they have a couple of different drivers in the seat or you know things just don't work out for them but dennis is you know he's kept uh kept putting the car on the racetrack and uh it was great to see him get rewarded yesterday with with a 100th win and i'd have to look into it but man to get to that 100th win there had to be probably 15 20 drivers at least i would think that got him to that 100th world Outlaws win because we we know we all know how many drivers have been in the seat of that car Right. Um, I'd, I'd like to check in on that. I don't really know where we'd find the stats for that. We have to maybe contact our buddy Brian Walker or something to figure that out. But yeah. um, that was awesome to see him get rewarded with, with something like that. You know, I, I think James has carried the 83 car just about as well as anybody in the last several years, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, last year was just it was just frustrating, man. He was so fast to every – just not every night, but just would never get – the luck or he'd have something break or you know he'd get caught up in an accident and then his big problem last year was qualifying and then he wouldn't you know make the dash and he'd start mid-pack and he'd get caught up in a wreck or you know he, he'd charge his way forward and he'd run third i think there was a point in time i think he had like maybe 13 or something podiums before he won that race last year he just could not you know put it all together he'd have a good night but it just wouldn't be enough to get in victory lane but you can tell that every time we talk to him in an interview or in a you know dash draw or after the race or for a you know for a podium run, he's just thankful to be in that car because the, the, the history behind it. Everybody in sprint car racing knows the '83 car, yeah. and I think James really carries the flag for those guys very well. He's appreciative to be in the car. He's he's humble about it, and uh, and you, you just love to see that. Hey, uh, Chase, this Kirk, uh, big night for Toyota too. That was the first win for Toyota. Huh? 
Yeah, first win for, for Toyota with the 410 engine as far as the Outlaws go. I want to say Kerry Madsen got one last year with the King of the West potentially out there on the West Coast, but uh, obviously that's a pretty big difference when, than coming to you know World of Outlaws you know, competition. And then doing it on a, on a half mile where an engine is tested very, very vigorously here at Volusia specifically, uh, that was a pretty big deal. We saw them, I think, last year here at Volusia. They had a quick time with Reitzel. Um, and, you know, they, they tried running a couple of times with Geo last year. The engine blew up a, a couple of times in a row. Um, so they've definitely had their trials and, and tribulations for sure. But to get that win out of the way, um, that's, a, that's a huge deal. I mean, Toyota in racing, we, I mean, obviously we know their presence in NASCAR. We've seen their presence recently in USAC Midgets more over the last, you know, what, five to eight, ten years maybe. Right. Um, and to see them kind of venturing into this, realm of sprint car or of, of racing i should say and having success i feel like it's a huge deal because toyota does have a lot of money behind them a lot of eyes on them right. uh, so that was a big deal i never thought i'd see this again i was standing down there in victory circle at lakeside speedway last year when james took that shoe off and poured beer in it drank out of it he did it again last night except this time on top of the wing yeah that was a cool little uh way to change it up and do it on top of the wing and i'm still it's still the weirdest thing I've ever seen, you know. I and like I, I'm not kidding you. When I think I was interviewing Victor Lane last night, I could almost like smell the shoe like on his face. Like it was like, oh my god. Like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's obviously he's sweating in there. It's all dirty, and he's he heard him coughing or whatever in Victor Lane because he said that he had dirt in his mouth from the shoe. And <laughs> but I mean, that is something that we there. There's no other guy that celebrates a win like him. You yeah. know, there's they don't do anything crazy like that. They all just get on top of the wing and do their own little thing with the the checkered flag or whatever but his deal you always look forward to a mcfadden win because uh you know that shoe he's coming um in the second race it seemed like the track changed a little bit in the second race didn't it well mcfadden was the second race the cedo was the first first race yeah. yeah yes that's correct the second race so right before the second race or the dash i should say for that second race uh they went out and and tilled the top up a little bit uh, and kind of knocked down a little bit of a curb that had built there. So they, they tilled that up, and then after all, that whole first feature, you know, I think it went, what, green to 27 laps in, and then we had one yellow, and basically everybody was on the bottom and kind of in the middle, and it burned it off so quickly. And then that second feature, I mean, we've seen it a lot over the, you know, different, not just here at Volusia, but other tracks. You know, when you run the bottom for that many laps in a row, then it gets burned off. Then you go to the top, and then everybody, you know, ring around the rosy on the top of the track for, you know, a long time as well. And, you know, which it was kind of unfortunate because we saw so many good races during Dirt Car Nationals here. The track was was unbelievable almost every night for the sprint cars. Even for the non-wing cars, it was good. Um, but I think they just put a little bit too much water on it. Maybe they were expecting more cars to show up there there's only 23 right. sprint cars here and there was like 18 of these three-quarter modifieds when we were at dirt car nationals there was 40 sprint cars and there was a hundred modified so maybe right. they just kind of overcompensate on the water um i think tonight they'll have it fixed up though uh, did you feel there at the end of that race that david gravel might have a chance to get around carson macedo yeah i think maybe but i i mean carson is just I mean, you put that guy out front at this point in his career, it, it's going to be tough to pass him. It's just like David. You know, it's just like right. Brad. It's just like some other guys, you know. I mean, you put these guys out front, man, they're, they're not going to make a mistake. The 41 has been incredible on half miles over the last couple of years. 
And Carson, he's just not going to mess up. You know, David, with how the track was, I also thought that it was going to be tough for David to make a move. If the track was how it was back in February, you know, when there was a bottom, it was slick in the middle, the top was way up by the wall, maybe David would have had a chance. But I just I didn't think David was going to, to make that, you know, any kind of move to get by Carson. I wanted to kind of see it happen so we could see him, you know, I talked about it a few times last night, tie history and win the first three races of the year. That's only happened twice, and it hasn't happened in, you know, 23 and something years, you know. So that would have been cool to see history tied. But I think Carson, you know, and he, I was going to say he had it well in hand and he, he made it happen. You know, uh, what really is surprising to me is how much better Casey Kane has become as a sprint car driver over the course of the last couple of years. He ran third last night. Um, he started sixth. Casey Kane is really coming back to sprint car racing a little bit, isn't he? he? He's starting to figure it out now, isn't he? Well, that's what happens when you run, you know, 60, 70 races a year. You know, you, it, what, what he was doing before was running. You know, he did run a lot, I would say, in 21. You know, that was that, I think that was the year that he got to run the 83 car and finish out that, that last half of the season or so right. when Reitzel had his problems. But, um you know, once once he starts running a lot more, you know, he could see the improvements. And what the thing is with Casey, he just he's just happy to be here, man. And and it's crazy to me because I think a guy like that that had been doing the NASCAR thing for so many years, you know, for however long it was, right. fifteen years doing the NASCAR deal, back and forth to the racetrack every single week, and he'd be you know maybe burn out of racing, but he is still having fun every single night. He's still enjoying it. And those runs like that last night is what keeps him coming back and keeps him hungry to try and get that first World of Outlaws win. Obviously, he's celebrated wins over 100 times as a car owner, but I think once he wins that first one, and I think it's coming, man. I think it's going to happen at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I think I don't think he retires until he gets one, in right. my opinion. I thought he was going to go for a ride there when uh, Buddy Kofoid and Selsey got together on that restart down there. Talk about that incident. Yeah, and I I think Gio and what kind of was the you know what people are saying on Twitter and whatnot was maybe he was running out of fuel or something because when he came back into the work area they went to fire him off and that car just wouldn't start back up um, and then yeah Casey got pretty lucky there because in victory lane you know I interviewed him on the podium and he had a lot of damage to the front end the, the front bumper was caved in the nose wing was kind of messed up and you know there might have been some some things in the front end that was bent as well but he was able to hang on. Um, but yeah, that was a lucky break there for him to not get caught up in that incident, especially on a restart, a single file restart when everybody's kind of, you know, bunched up nose to tail. I thought that would take out a couple more cars, but yeah, that was, that was really cool to see Casey, uh, start the year out, you know, four races in, or I think that was the, the third race maybe of the season technically to get a third place run that quickly into it. That's a, that's a pretty big deal for him. Uh, there's only been a few drivers that have won the first three races of the year. Can you break it down to me uh, on who did that? Yeah, that was so '97. It was so it was, it was either it was Steve Kinzer and Sammy Swindell. I'm getting the years mixed up. It was '91 and '97. One of those two guys and one of those years. Well, Swindell um, won the championship in '97. So that's probably What's the year. That? Swindell won his third championship oh. in '97. So that was probably the year. Yeah, probably, you know, and it's just, you know, I don't know, remember what, I don't know what tracks they were at. I don't know if it was here in Volusia, probably not, because I think back then they, they maybe started the season at Devil's Bowl or something like that. But, um, 
yeah, that only two times in, in history. And then as far as the fourth goes, and I don't think anybody's ever won four to start out the year. And, uh, you know, Gravel was, I mean, he was close. You know, he, he got close, but just couldn't quite do it. Right. Um, listen, let me ask you this. Do you feel like Donnie Schatz, last night he started 21st and he ended up running seventh? He had to be the hard charger of the night. Do you think that Donnie Schatz has another championship in him? Man, I sure hope so. Um, I, I would love to see him win another championship because, you know, you, you hear these guys, man, in these interviews, these these younger guys, and Brad Sweet, he's not a younger guy, you know, but they keep saying, yeah, well, you know, back when Donnie was, you know, in his prime or back when Donnie was doing good or, you know, Donnie this, Donnie that, and it's like, dude, Donnie's, I think, still got it. You know, it's just he's got to get the gremlins out of, you know, the, last night they had a fuel pump problem. That's what sent him back to the, oh. the rear of the field for the feature lineup, right? I mean, once they get those problems figured out, and once, and I think they've got the engine stuff all figured out, I think Donnie, right now he's in a hole as far as the points go, but it's, you know, early in the year. I think he's still got a championship in him, and that was proven, I think, last year during Knoxville Nationals. He has still got the drive to win, and he's still got the drive to go for a championship. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk about uh, Leighton Crouch, that, that uh, car that Buddy Kofoid is driving. Is the driver carrying that car, or is that really good equipment? And how many World of Outlaw races do you think they're going to be able to run this year? Uh, man, I think it's the best equipment you can get, really. I mean, and at this point... At this point in sprint car racing, right, I mean, you have got to have the best of the best to, to be running up front. You know, you got to have, I mean, you got to have all the titanium stuff. You got to have the, you know, $80,000 motor or whatever it is at this point. You got to have the best shocks, all that stuff. And that Leighton Crouch does not cut corners on that stuff, man. He wants to win races and he knows what it takes. He's got to spend some money. Buddy, obviously, is a phenomenal driver. I have watched him race. I've announced him racing since he was you know, eight or nine years old in the, in the outlaw carts back in California. I announced his first ever sprint car 410 win at Ocean Speedway a long time ago. I've been watching him a long time. Obviously, he is a phenomenal driver, but I feel like underrated crew chief Brad Alexander, man, he is, he's, I mean, that team has got to be one of the collectively youngest teams out there right now, Brad Alexander, Jacob Weaver, Stephen Ham Riley, those guys are all, I want to say, under 27, 26 years old. Wow. You know, going up and down the road. Brad Alexander used to be on Donnie Schatz's crew. He's been on, you know, his family at the Alexander's was uh, that, that car that Damian Gardner was running for a long time with CRA. They've been around track car racing forever. And uh, I think Brad Alexander, underrated crew chief buddy, is obviously doing a great job driving, but I think Brad Alexander's got his stuff figured out as well as far as the, the setup goes. How many races do you think uh, Buddy's going to run this year? Oh, man. Uh, I, with the Outlaws, they're going to run uh, quite a bit. But, you know, I, I think they committed to the high-limit deal, so um, they're going to run all those races. And then, you know, I, I feel like at this point, with how well they've been doing, obviously they got caught up in that wreck yesterday when they were yeah. running inside the top five. With the speed they're showing this quickly, I don't know why they wouldn't want to run you know, 80% of the World of Outlaws race because they have a legitimate chance to win every single night out. You know, we saw them win at Houston. We saw them run second twice in a row here at Volusia. So they're good on the short tracks. They're good on the big tracks. Um, I think we see them a lot. You know, 75% of the races, I think we'll see that 11 car out. Especially since he's not running the midget deal anymore. Are you a little surprised to see Brad Sweet running seventh in the points right now? Yeah, and that's one of my... 
you know, one of my deals on the pre-race show for tonight, that's what I'm going to be talking about. You know, he's seventh in points, 44 back. You know, he ran second last night, and, you know, second's good, but, you know, we expect to see Brad Sweet, if he's in second, to be, you know, putting up a challenge for the lead. And I feel like he never really, like, put up, like, he never really got up to James and was, like, you know, trying to put a move on him. He never got up next to him, even in lap traffic. I mean, maybe that was because of the track or, or whatever, but, you know, Brad, I just don't think that they're where they need to be at right now. The first feature, he went from seventh to ninth. He got passed twice in one lap. He got passed by Peck, and he got passed by Donnie in one lap. Um, and then I think one of the uh, nights last month, he finished like 19th in one of the races, and he got a sixth place in the other one. So things are just, they're just not looking too great right now for him. And it's kind of the same song, different dance last year. It took them a long time to get that first win out of the way last year. Um, But right now, but I feel like in this day and age, if you leave Volusia 40-something points behind the leader, especially a guy like David Gravel who, you know, doesn't make too many mistakes and doesn't DNF too often, it's going to be tough to, to catch back up being that far in the hole already. Yeah, so going to Port Royal next weekend, and that's always a challenge in itself. The the PA drivers, they take a lot of pride in outrunning the world of outlaw drivers when they come up there, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, last year, I think we the outlaws got all but shut out almost every PA race. You know, uh, what, Brad won at the Grove and Jacob won at Lincoln, and that was it. I mean, the other seven or so races were all won by Pennsylvania, you know, and, and Port Royal, I think, is their best track. I mean, you got Macri out there, you got, you know, Dylan Sisney, you got Logan Wagner, Lance DeWeese, you got all these guys that can, can win, and I feel like the Outlaws, like, they're, the Outlaws are not very good at, at Port Royal. I mean, Brad Sweet, we, he'll tell you he's not good there. David Gravel's not good there. Carson Macedo tells me it, it's his least favorite track that we go to all year. You know, the, the Outlaws are not good at Port, and I'm really hoping we can run there because I think I saw snow in the forecast. Oh, oh no. So we'll have to wait and see there. Um, obviously, it's still a week away, but uh, or less than that now. But, um, yeah, I think next week uh, it's really the posse's race to lose because last year I think Gravel was the only guy on the podium at the Port races, um, and he was like third one night, and that was it. Mm. God's hoping it doesn't snow. I love Port Royal Speedway. Yeah, Anthony Macri is the guy to beat up there, isn't he? I think. Yeah, Macri is. I mean, what was it? They had a race yesterday that Sisney won, and Macri was looked like I watched the highlights, and he was kind of charging through the field late. I think he ran like third or something. But yeah, Macri last year he swept both nights there during the October races uh, when we were there. So um, he's he's one of those guys that's just not afraid to get up there next to the wall and, and let her eat. So, yeah, um, yeah I think the posse definitely are going to be uh, a huge threat next week, if not the threat. Yeah, uh, no doubt uh, Danny Dietrich and Marks is going to be a, a couple of drivers they're going to have to outrun up there as well. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, you know, I was trying to name them off, and I kind of forgot all of them. There's just so many good ones. Yeah. So you uh, you think we're going to get a lot better racetrack tonight down there at Volusia that, like we had a month ago? Uh, I'm hoping so. You know, the guys over here, Rob Plattfoot does the racetrack, and I know he probably wasn't happy with how things went last night. Mike Hess, race director, he has a pretty big say on what, you know, each racetrack does as far as the prep goes. He wasn't too pleased with how things went yesterday. The drivers, obviously, they want a track that they can pass on. I think that tonight they're going to 
make up for it. You know, they, they realize that there's only 20-something spread cars here. There's only 15, 18 modified, so a little bit less water, um, and I think we'll be in good shape. So, um, And you know what also doesn't help is having no last-chance showdown. We're not, we have a dash with, you know, two less cars. We have a whole less heat race. So that kind of throws it off a little bit, you know, especially right. after what we did during Dirt Car Nationals. These guys had it down to a science. So, okay, four heats, last chance showdown, you know, a full dash, uh, 100 modifies. They had it down to a science every night, and it, this one kind of threw them a little bit for a loop, I think. Yeah, We're we visit- know how good it can be. We're visiting with Chase Rodman. Yeah. And I, I got to ask you, is that bump still over there coming off a of turn two just past the where they enter the track? There's there was a bump there when I was down there for the All Star races and the World of Outlaw races. Is that bump still there? Oh yeah, um, and I was thinking about. I don't know. Do you guys think it'd be an interesting question to ask a driver during the dash draw or something? I mean, I watched them guys go across that thing, and it like I feel like the left front tire comes off the ground almost when they go across it. Yeah, you know, it's it is pretty severe where they cross the track right there, and I think it maybe be an interesting question to ask uh, one of these drivers. If it really affects them at all, or if they, you know, if they're anticipating it every lap, or if they don't even think about it, you know. Yeah. Well, Chase, let me just tell you, man. Listen, you're you're my favorite pit reporter out there. I know I traveled up and down the road with Scotty Cook for a long time, but I'm just telling you, you're so studious and you're so good at your questioning to the drivers. And when you get down there into the work area and you start detailing the information that's going on in the work area, I think you just do a great job, bud. I, I appreciate that, Scott, man. I, I really do. And, you know, the work area, it's, it's a lot of fun down there, especially when you have a night like yesterday when you get four or five guys down in there all at the same time and you've got to run back and forth and you're, you're talking to crew guys, asking them what happened, or you're, you know, trying to figure out what happened yourself and you're trying to get out of the way, but then you got to try and get in on the action a little bit, you know. And um, it is it is a ton of fun. Uh, to be down there, and, and I appreciate the kind words. You know, it, it doesn't – I don't just show up here and and uh, just get to it. You know, I'm down in the trailer before you guys called me, and I'm, you know, researching stuff and doing all that. So there's a lot of work behind it, and uh, I, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, telling me that. Uh, it means when, a lot. Hey, when you see things that Johnny Gibson doesn't even see, that, that to me, that's a home run. That is. that's That knocks it out of the <laughs> park, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Johnny, he's getting old, man. His eyes might not be as good as they once were, you know. So, um, but, uh, you know, and he, he watches from a like a five-by-five-inch screen up there in the tower, too. So things are tough for him to see already. So, um, but, yeah, you know, I and I, I kind of like doing that. I'm like, hey, Johnny, actually, this happened. And he's like, oh, okay, I didn't see that. You know, I kind of like to mess with him a little bit like that. Right. Hey, let me ask you something. Did you ever listen to Southern rock music? Did you hear about Gary Rossington passing away from Leonard Skinner? Did you hear about that? I mean, I've heard of Leonard Skinner. I have not heard of him. Gary, I'm sorry. I haven't. Uh, That's okay. Everybody knows Leonard Skinner. Yeah, no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Hey, Chase, thanks for taking the time to join us on the show, man. We always appreciate it. You never say no, and we're, we're thankful for that, and... We can't appreciate you enough for taking the time to join us here on Mostly Motorsports. Yeah, I always enjoy coming on. Appreciate you guys giving me the call, and hopefully uh, hopefully we see a, a good race here tonight at Volusia, and hopefully we'll see you guys down the road soon. Can't right. wait to watch tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm going to PA Speed Week, just so you know. Oh, well, I, unfortunately, I will not be there. I don't know where we're going to be at. I think you're probably Houston um, Speedway, I would guess. 
Right. And we'll be we'll be somewhere for yeah. sure. But yeah. one day I hope to make it out to PA Speed Week. It seems like a, a fun time. All right. Thank you, Chase. We appreciate you. All right. See you guys. Thanks. All Thanks, right. Chase. There you have it, Chase He's Rodman. Good. Man, that guy is as good as they He's get. Good. You know that that is is he as good as a pit reporter as anybody out there? He is, and and one prime example of that is last night when Carson Macedo's left rear tire went down, and uh, you had that incident between Jacob Allen and David Gravel. Uh, he was down in the pits all over that, you know, talking about what parts and pieces needed to be re- the problems that David Gravel have on the front end of his right. car. And he was walking around the car. He knows the he knows the parts and pieces of the race cars, and he explains it very well. Yeah, there's nobody that's better uh, than Chase Rodman. What he's doing out there on the World of Outlaws. This is no disrespect to Scotty Cook, but Scotty Cook is not as studious as Chase Rodman. What Scotty Cook is good at, he's good at personalities. He's not afraid. To go up right after a guy flips, flips his, his ass off, and he'll stick a microphone right up in his face, and he gets reactions. I would not do that. I, you know, I would be afraid to just walk up to a driver and just stick a mic in his face after he jumped out of a, you know, flipped his let, lid. Let, let me tell you something about. He's not afraid to do that. I used to whip Scotty to get over there and and, and talk to those guys when they when they flipped. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, Scotty, get over there, talk to that driver right now. That's what Scotty is good at. Yeah. And and also... He's uh, not afraid. I missed him at the uh, Tulsa shootout this year because he was so good talking to the kids right, right. at the Tulsa shootout. But we did hear him on the PA down there, so at least we had that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more motorsports right here on Mostly Motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod and Supply. Featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. We'll be back with more in a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Mostly Motorsports with the Racing Boys. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Missouri's must play away. Osage National Golf Resort. Three nine hole courses to choose from at the Lake of the Ozarks in the Osage River Valley. Stay and play packages in our first class condos. A beautiful clubhouse complete with pro shop and exercise facilities. A large pool for relaxation and families. The Eagle View Sports Bar and Grill. Great wedding facilities. Go online and make your tea time today. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and's radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. 
here at Specialty Sportswear in-house. We do all of the screen printing, all the embroidery. We do some vinyl. The other add specialty items like your pens, magnets, notepads, calendars. You can actually buy that, build your business, and make it larger. We have the largest screen printing process and the largest embroidery anywhere around in the area. We can do stuff all the way from your school clubs to sports teams, a professional look in the office. If you can imagine it, we can do it for you. Rod and Supply is involved with a variety of motorsports as well as industrial applications with many different types of products. Since 1989, Rod and Supply has provided superior products priced competitively. Whether you're racing at the circle track or drag strip, rock climbing, or going off-road, Rod and Supply is an assortment of Rod and radius rods and specialty products to keep your equipment moving. Rod and Supply's experienced staff is ready and willing to help you with your needs. Their promise is to continue to provide a superior product with superior service so you can stay in front of the field no matter what it is. To learn more, go to rodandsupply.com. Race fans, the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum is open seven days a week, year-round, for you to come in and check out all of the wonderful race cars on display in the museum. And our online store at SprintCarStuff.com is open 24 hours a day for you to check out everything that we have in stock for Sprint Car fans. Whether it's for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas, SprintCarStuff.com has it all. That's at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum in Knoxville. Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com, serving the racing community for over 30 years. Welcome back. Mostly motorsports. It's all brought to you by Rod End Supplies, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. And uh, we want to remind everybody about what's going on up at the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum right now. You have a chance to win a 2023 Z06 with the Z07 Performance Package on it. It's a pearl white metallic tri-coat color. And they're also going to give you $25,000 in cash to help you pay for the taxes as well. This is a, a real performance streetcar, folks. It's got 760 horsepower. It's got a 5.5 LT6 V8 engine in it. goes from 0 to 60 in 2.6 seconds. 8-speed automatic. And it's, it, it is just one of the fantastic mid-engine cars in the country, Kirk. How would you like to drive that car? Oh, man. That would be a, a drive of a lifetime. Are you kidding? It's got the uh, larger tires. It's got uh, large brakes on it. It's got the aero package on it. And, again, this is the Z06 Corvette. And, it again, it is dual coil valve springs. It makes 464 pounds of of torque this is a really really good car and let me tell you folks all the money all the proceeds that go for the drawing of this car go to the national sprint car hall of fame and museum they've been they've been 
doing this for how many years, Kirk? How many years have they given a Corvette away? Uh, gosh, they, you know, that's a good question. That I don't know. Uh, they've been five, doing they've oh, been doing the sprint car for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Corvette. Uh, it's been over five years. Yeah, I think it? they've done five, at least four. Yeah, this might be their fifth one for right that I know of for sure. So right. So all you need to do to buy a raffle ticket is go to winaz06corvette.com. Winaz06corvette.com. And, uh, again, all the proceeds from every raffle ticket that they sell goes directly to the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum, which, by the way, is open seven days a week, folks. So if you want to go up there, they're only closed on the major holidays, right, Kurt? Yeah, I think just, uh, what, uh, Christmas? Is that the only day? New Year's closed? Day. I think New Year's Day. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Christmas. I, I think know. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're open just about every other day. It's good to see Bob Baker out at the Carb Hall of Fame the other night. Yeah. He accepted on behalf of Danny the Dude Lasowski. Danny, Danny couldn't make it. was down in Florida this weekend, you know. Uh, uh, so, uh, Kirk, he, I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say it, and, and, and this might tick some people off. But if you are going to get into the Central Auto Racing Boosters Hall of Fame, you need to be there. It's a great honor to be in, inducted into that Hall of Fame. Yeah, you don't go into Hall of Fames every year, do you? I've never been in a Hall of Fame. I've only been into one at the Adams County Speedway Hall right, of Fame. Right, right, right. I wasn't going to miss that for the world. Are you kidding? Why would you? You know, it's uh, you know. I, I was I was disappointed that. Uh, let me just say this: Rick, Rick Beebe wasn't there, and uh, Danny. You know, we knew he wasn't going to be several weeks ago when we talked. to Rick him. Beebe should have been there. To be honest with you, he was racing down at Petty, Texas, at Rocket Raceway. Park. Listen, you're getting into a Hall of Fame. You should be there at the at the at banquet. Well, I think so. I, you know, the the person that really misses out on it is the inductee himself. Right. You know, we all had a great time. We talked about Rick and Danny and all of the inductees of the Hall of Famers. The others were there. there you were, emceed that deal. Yes. Uh, Jerry Covert and Lonnie Farley uh, were both there. Uh, and Bob Reber, who was the other living inductee. We put eight total in. How many? But, how many people were there? Of uh, the eight people that were there, how many people were there? Well, and, uh, and uh, no, some are deceased. Some are deceased. We had all the other living members there except for Rick Beebe and Danny Lasowski, and they were Lonnie Farley, Jerry Covert, and Bob Reber. Was was uh, Fred Renault there? He was there. Yeah. And he helped uh, accept on behalf of Freddie Whistler. Right. And unfortunately, we lost Freddie a couple of years ago. Yeah. But uh, Goober was there, and he spoke, has said a few good words about uh, his good friend. Did Freddie he get Whistler. up there and talk? Yeah. Goober did. We did. Yeah, Goober came up and, and helped accept. Uh, All his right. His wife, uh, Judy, was there. And uh, so the two of them come up and uh, accepted on behalf of Fast, Fast Freddie Whistler. Wow. So, But it was, it was a great night. Like I said, the people who really missed out were... Danny and Rick, you know, you only get to do that once. So I'm disappointed Rick wasn't there. And, you know, Danny, I, you know, I can see why. He was down there helping Brian Brown and and Volusia. Where he's at. Yeah. 
I think he really wanted to be there, but it was just going to be hard for him to make it back to do it. We put so. that video. It, it's just a plane ticket. Yeah, that's true. In and out. Hey, we we posted that video of our interview with Ray Cunningham going through every one of the inductees. It's on our YouTube page and our Facebook page. So if you want to go back and listen to, uh, you know, the little bit of a bio from each one of the inductees. That was hit, a really good interview. And that was on. Yeah, that set. laid it out. We're sorry we weren't able to do the live video, but that interview we did on Saturday morning with Ray really laid out all the information that you would want to know about each of the inductees. Yep, and that's available right there on our Facebook page and our YouTube page. So uh, just go back and watch that as your leisure, and make sure you share that to all your friends that were or were not at that banquet last night. That way they can, you know, catch up on that. Hopefully our, they'll be able to find somebody to shoot the live video of it next hey, year. Hey, Todd, do we have that uh, that video of Overton yeah, and Madden? pull that up real quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to watch this video. Uh, you, you have to watch the sequence of events. It, it appears that at the start of this, was that a heat race? No, it was the feature event, 50-lap feature. On and, Sunday it, afternoon. it appeared that Madden had a right front tire go down, and then it drove him up into Overton. Right. Uh, right? Yeah. Marler was leading the race, and he had a tire go down eventually. Now, now look. I don't think he's too happy about what happens right here. Because look what happens right here. Boom! He runs right into his car and flattens Overton's left front tire. And that's what angered Overton. Right. Is when that happened. But I don't think that I don't think that Madden did that intentionally. I think that he had a right front flat tire and he just ran into him when he when he gassed it up, he just got into him. I don't think he did that intentionally. Now, look at this. They're bumping chest. What do you think about that, Kurt? Well, I was, I was thinking that we were going to have a real knockdown drag out. That's what I was thinking. Who do you think would win that fight? I don't know. Overton First, or, who, or Madden? Who's Bruce got Madden's our a tough guy. Who's got <laughs> our back to us right here? Who's who's that with his back to that us? Was, that's, oh, Overton. that's Overton. Yeah. I, from body language? Um, Madden seemed like he backed Overton's up. Overton's a lot younger. Yeah, Madden seemed like he backed up two times when Overton finally took his helmet off, and uh, that kind of shows me that he was either preparing to fight <laughs> or didn't want to take a shot. I'm surprised <laughs> that thing didn't really go all out the way yeah. that started out. But now let's back up here a second. You said that when Madden turned his car into Overton that that was not intentional? What what were you saying about that move that was not intentional? Well, I, I I'm saying that Overton must have had a right front flat. Here we'll watch that here. And, we got a right. And, and when when he when he gets a flat, he just runs right up into Overton. But here's what the problem is right this here. This move right here when Madden turns into him that you don't think. But that's... Overton has a right front flat, and when he gasses it up, his car just goes to the right. Because he's got a right front flat. And see, I think the other. Yeah, but what about that last move when Madden turned into him? Huh? The last move, they, they were both stopped on the racetrack, and when Madden went to go, he turned right into him. Well, Scott's saying that the car turned because into Because the him. car had a right front flat, Kirk, yeah. and when your car has a right front flat, your car turns to the right. Okay. 
So that's what he's saying. He was just trying to take off. But if you can and, see. And yeah. Overton didn't know that he had a yeah. tire go down. He thought that was intentional. Yeah. And if you can see, you can see. And you o- can tell Overton's got a left front flat on his car after he pulls yeah. off. And yeah. you can see Overton's hand come out of the window as well. Watch right here. Right here. He's pointing to him and he's yelling at him as he's driving off. You see that? He's pointing to him and saying. It looked intentional. It did. And that's what he Overton, thought. And, and I think you're. Probably right, Scott, that that right front, you know, when he gassed it up, it just automatically it went to right. the right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it, it was great it, entertainment for the fans, you know, to see these guys down there dusting it up. I hope they all got a good look at it from the grandstands. Who's the idiot on the mini bike at the end? What? I didn't see that. Was there somebody on a mini bike? I don't know. We're going to try to pull another. I've got another look from a fan look, video. Look, look, here it is. <clears throat> this is a fan shot video. And so you're, it's definitely going to have some people standing up, obviously. But he get you get a pretty good shot of the incident in the in the race here. Let me pull it up right now. They should be kind of going back to the fight over here. Here we go. So that's why I was looking to see if we could see the mini bike because this is a wider shot. But we're looking at it now. Like I said, this is a fan shot video. There he is right here. Here he comes. Well, they did that in front of everybody in the grandstand to see, so that was good. There's the mini bike guy. He Listen, come- if if you're going to fight, fight on the front straightaway. Right. Make some money out of this. Let, let's put on uh, let's put on a show for the fans. But you know what? Right there, the fans can see what's going on. Yeah, right no, there. it's all out there in the open. That I, was the best part about it. Mm-hmm. That, People could see it. That kid come whipping in on that bike like he was Superman or something, though. <laughs> hmm. Now, well, running that race in the daytime, the was, track was rubber rubbered down. Up. It, it was just not, and tires were going down. I think everybody had a flat tire in that race. Well, there's a lot of people. But look how many cell phone videos are being recorded. You know, everybody's, if I was a fan, everybody's paid, got their everybody's phone out, got, don't they? Nobody's helping nothing. <laughs> you know, if I was a fan and paid good money for that uh, race, I'd want, you know, I'd be very disappointed that the track was crap and tires were going down. But at least Brandon Overton and Chris Madden made it yeah, memorable for the lot. <laughs> so thanks to those guys for helping save. They the should day. have got an extra hundred bucks each in their pay per in their yes. pay thing because that that was that sold more beer right there than probably that last four laps. At so. least it gives something for people to talk about. That's always good. Yeah, no doubt. And they'll be back, mm-hmm. especially if those two guys are racing against each other again. That's going to sell a few more tickets. Well, like he said, he it was his own. He what he say it was our own fault for even showing up at the damn track. Is that what he said? Is that what well, you said? Well, you know that's that that's <laughs> been a famous line forever. You know, that's uh, funny. Uh, the biggest problem is is I showed up here I to showed race. Up at the race, right? Well, uh, the the promoters and the series, uh, Eldora Speedway, and all these yeah. places are thinking, "Hey, thank you guys for we got some extra ticket sales out here, and a few eyeballs right. on us because right. that's all that's going to do." We're going to meet up again and again. That's the XR series. Both of these guys go where the money's at, and that's yeah. the thing. Like it says, they they meet up where the cash is, so. It so ain't they're like going to meet up again. Yeah, they're they're not just coming into somebody's series. You know, these guys are, you know, like you said, they're f- kind of have their own duel going on in each series, wherever they show up at. So uh, I don't think this will be the last we see of that. No. 
You know, I got up yesterday morning, Scott. And I didn't see the Xfinity race on Saturday, but I got up. They replanted on Fox. So I watched racing from 8 o'clock in the morning all the way through last night. I did, too. Nothing but racing the whole day. Ended up with the World of Outlaws that, last night. That, so in, the, that Indy race was nuts. Oh, that was crazy. That, I've never seen I, wrecks like that. Uh, uh, after that Xfinity replay in on Sunday morning, then I watched the F1 race from Bahrain, night race on uh, on a road course. Then the IndyCar race on the streets of St. Petersburg. And talk about a wild Man. race on the streets. You had... Uh, Michael Rom- and... Roman Grosjean and uh, Max... Or, uh, Scott McLaughlin. McLaughlin drives for Penske. That gross gene drives for Andretti Motorsports. Those two guys were going at it. And it McLaughlin was coming around trying to beat uh, Grosjean coming out of the pits. And got stuffed into the tires. And they came together. It looked like McLaughlin turned in on him and the two went around. These are the two most dominant cars of the race. Right. And they took each other out. And uh, then after that, Andretti it, had four cars out of the yeah. race. I mean, all four of his automobiles had crashed at one point. So after that, it was uh, Marcus Erickson, the guy that won the Indianapolis 500 last year, that uh, took advantage of all that and won that race down there. But you talk about a lot of cars getting tore up. There were cars nine. flying through the air. Yeah, I there mean, were nine heavy, cars. heavy duty crashes. All, all through that that's a, race. That's a massive pileup right there. Yeah, for an IndyCar race. For an IndyCar race. That <laughs> is, that's like the big one at Daytona. Exactly. Right and there. They showed the infield where they stored the cars, you know. Yeah. There were nine IndyCars all just in the junk pile on the infield of a racetrack. And they were counting out the money, you know, how much each car was worth, you know, and they were adding it up. But at one point... Elio was one of the guys who yeah. got caught up in it. At the very, very, very early on in the race, there was a big one, and then, but at one point they showed Michael Andretti, and he'd already had two cars go down. Then the other one jumps the other car. It comes down, Scott, on its nose wing. At that, least that Grosjean was going to win the race. Yeah. And then when he got in that incident with McLaughlin, that was the end of Andretti Autosport. And in that look on Andretti's face, he had lost his fourth car. Yeah. It was just, it was unbelievable, man. Like, I, the look on his face was like, why'd we show up here? But I'll tell you, I'm not a big street race guy. You know, the, the racing on the streets. I don't care not, much for street not racing. Not much. It was but I'll good tell you yesterday. what, this race was full of action the I, whole I, day. I think Jack Harvey was the only guy that got hurt and had to take be taken to the hospital let me tell you he was limping there a little bit yeah Yeah. there was all kinds of action during this race but let me tell you they wasn't a lot of times you see these guys taking it easy through some of the they were pushing it yesterday in places that you don't normally like right through this here little part you just don't see that kind of i don't know like i mean look at that scott rubbing is racing (laughs) that car just jumped Five feet in the I mean, I not had, in Indy car racing. Kurt. No, you don't see cars coming off the ground like well, they, they that. were doing it in this race. Boy, it was something else. And then, like they you weren't said, afraid to hook wheels here. Then you had that the big race at Vegas, and obviously, so did you hear that was a tibia bone that Chase Elliott Elliott broke? And my wife told me he's going to be out for months. My wife told me that she's a pain management. She has a master's in pain management. She's a that's what she does for a living. Like. 
After you go out of surgery, Chase saw a pain management your, team. Your wife is basically a doctor. Yeah, she's a nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, and a, has a master's in pain management. And what happens is after you come out of surgery, you see a pain management team or a nurse. He's probably got a whole team that comes in and sees him. My wife told me that, that she has more people with more severe pain with that an injury than any other break other than a back. How long oh, did man. she think he's going to be out? She didn't think. She was amazed when I told her that Kurt Bush or Kyle Bush had came back after a broken leg, but she didn't think he'd be back for, she said, six months is what she told me. Six Holy months? Cow. But what what she doesn't know is she said that's an average He'll be person. Back before that. So I'm looking at maybe be. I'm, I bet he's out three months. Well, he's already going through therapy. He underwent a three-hour surgery. Yeah, I told my well, wife. Well, that Friday just night, tells you alone right there that it's not three good. three-hour surgery, yeah. and he's already into rehab today. Yeah, so the things that are different, like we know Patrick he's Mahomes. He's not going to be back anytime no, soon. No, he's not going to be back. I, I would say three, it's going to be at least several weeks yeah, before I, they can even think about it. I would say two months is where I'm going to put him at. That's that's because well, broke, uh, now let me ask you this: Would you be ticked off if you're Rick Hendrick? <laughs> well, I'm well, sure he's not very happy about it. But the statement he puts out: Hey, we still support Chase, and he's you know, saying he, the right things, yeah. but I'm not sure he's feeling the right, right things. Did you hear when they asked uh, Kyle Bush about that as being a team owner himself? Do you put limitations on any of your drivers? And he says, No. He says, Look, we got we got things we have to do. He says. When when uh, the coach put the limitation on me, I broke my legs in his car, and I went to him afterwards and told him, "Look, the deal's off. Uh, I'm going to race where I want to race because I got hurt in your car, not in my car." So he said, and "Therefore, I don't." He goes, "You know, I don't want them jumping out of airplanes or whatever." But yeah, right. You can't limit these kids. I mean, we know Patrick Mahomes has a competition clause in his – he can't play basketball no more. Right. He's not allowed to play basketball right. no more co competitively. He can play at home having his little fun, but a video popped up of him breaking dudes' legs at a gym somewhere, and they were like, uh-uh. No. We're not having that. Can't have that happen. So I understand we're drivers, you know, but like like you're saying. You I, know, I think Christopher Bell is doing the right thing yes, this year. I, I, I think yeah. that Christopher Bell – I think he, he took it upon himself to get out of dirt track racing and focus on cup racing. You think he did that on his own? I think he did he that on his own. Strongly encouraged by the well, coach to when not we do that stuff. You know, when we interviewed him last year, before this is before the Chili Bowl. We, it was way before that. We even asked him, you're going to be at the Chili Bowl? And he said, he said you know, no. we're, I'm, I'm, and, that, and it, it sounded more like a decision he was making for himself. It did, didn't it? And, and I'll go back to what I said before. He wants a championship because Kyle Larson has a championship. And you can't tell me those two guys aren't competitive head-to-head. -head. We've seen it at the Chili Bowl. We've seen it. These, if, if there's a burning in Kyle and Christopher Bell, and that kid wants a, a, a NASCAR championship. Well, he's certainly capable of doing it. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, he ended up running fifth yesterday. Yeah. And so, how about – I oh, bet, bet it's getting back to uh, – 
Chase Elliott and the waiver that's yeah. uh, likely to come. Now, when Kyle Busch broke his leg, he did it in an Xfinity car yeah. at Daytona. Right, hitting that it, wall head on. It, it was several months before he came back, and he won the championship this that year. They gave him the, the waiver. Provisional, now, yeah. this is an off-track incident. That's what I was going to ask. Does that make a difference in NASCAR? Giving, I don't think there's any question they're going to give him the waiver. But what are the criteria that NASCAR has to give you that waiver to allow Chase Elliott to heal up and still come back and win the championship? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think that they should give it to him. I, I think because it wasn't in a an a, an accident on the racetrack. I think they should have a a limited. What do you think? Chris? I don't know what I don't know exactly what NASCAR's criteria is, but they do. There have been a precedent where they have given waivers to injuries outside of the race car. I can't bring up specific examples here, but they're, they have given I can't think of one drivers. time when they did that for somebody that got injured out of a race car. I mean, I can understand that you give him a couple weeks of that, you know, but I don't see how you can, I don't know, man, that changes how If you're snowboarding and you break your leg, I mean, so sad, too yeah. bad. Would it be the same if Kyle Larson got hurt in a sprint car? And was that's outside of the normal NASCAR racing. Would that I, be I, the same? I, I think that if uh, Kyle Larson was to get hurt in a sprint car, that it would be too bad, too sad. I think NASCAR would definitely want to say, we don't want you running in it This anyway. is a huge that. thing for NASCAR because he's the this most, is popular, the most driver. popular driver of yeah. all of NASCAR. Yeah. And he's going to be out of the car for several weeks. So what This I affects would... a lot of people. Uh, what not I would just do not is, just the members of his race team, but also affects the sport. Yeah, with him not being at the racetrack competing in the race car. So what I would do if I was NASCAR, I'd get that guy as soon as he's able to talk and be presentable. He's in the booth as a guest commentator. Anything, any knowledge you can get out of this guy, because why? He's the most popular driver, and if you tell everybody we're going to have Elliot in our booth commentating for the second or the last um stage of our race you can't tell me people aren't going to tune in or at least be at the racetrack i i think it would in be some huge. fashion to greet fans or do something yeah. it, it i would assume that that's going to be the case he I, wasn't at the racetrack this no, weekend he uh, for obvious reasons <laughs> but as soon as he's able to at least get back at the racetrack i'm, I'm gonna say this he needs to just concentrate on rehab. Oh, I know. He'll and, and just take care of that and not worry about what's going on at the racetrack. I think I, it, that's what well, I at think. At least yeah. for the time being. Well, I, I, you don't want him up moving around no. and re injuring that eight leg. But you could have him sitting in a TV booth doing commentary those last three weeks before he's getting ready to jump back in the car. I think that would be getting his insight on. I don't know. It. I, I'm like you, Scott. I don't know if I had to let him have the, you know, that he, he got hurt doing something completely different outside of racing. I think I think NASCAR is going to give him the waiver. Oh, they That's will. That's what I believe. Well, he's the most popular driver. I mean, you can't tell me if Dale Earnhardt would have gotten hurt, you know, falling off his back deck. Well, he did Junior. spend time out of the race car when he had that concussion. Remember, he had that yeah. bad crash at Kansas Speedway yeah. that one time. No, but that was, was in a car. A, an accident right. at a racetrack. Yeah. That was in a, a cup, cup car. In a cup car. Yeah. But I don't know if NASCAR's got specific criteria that they have printed 
and put out there, of, okay, this is the criteria you must meet if you if were to award you the waiver. I don't think there is that set criteria. Well, we're in a different world now because you've got you're paying these they're not paying these guys the kind of money they were paying them back in the day when the multi million dollar contracts back were in the up. day the drivers used to get paid 15 20 million dollars to drive these race cars yeah. now these young guys that they're bringing in they're, they're only making about five six hundred thousand yeah. dollars and and they get incentives per race too right you know in their contracts just like football players you finish in the top 10 in this many races, you get this much incentive. You finish in the top five at this many stage race or any stage races you finish, you know, you're getting these incentives. But they're the big contract, like we talked about before, that that's gone. You're not you don't see the big monster contract. Right. But the reason they they started this waiver before that, you know, either yeah. you race the car, or you, you were going to earn the points. Exactly. And so drivers would climb in these race cars when they were injured and they said, well, this is a safety issue. We don't yeah. want to encourage drivers to get back in the race cars if they're still hurt. And so they brought up this waiver, and now they they want drivers to heal up and not get back in the race car before it's too soon. Same as with the concussion, with but Kurt, that also happened in a cup car yeah, with uh, Kurt, Kurt Bush, Bush last year. He did, never did get back did you in the see race Kurt, car. Kurt Alex interview? Bowman did. Mm. Uh, but that that was in a cup car. So Kirk, Kirk's interview was pretty good. They asked him. They he asked where he was at, and he's still. They they're changing up. He said he's still a little bit shaky on some of his hand eye coordination stuff. Um, I think what you're going to see is him get in one more race. He'll he'll enter one more race, and he'll he'll retire after that. That's he's he told. I mean, the, in that interview, he's working hard every day. You don't put yourself into this type of thing because if you're done you're done and you just go home and rehab but right. he, who would have ever thought his last hurrah would be at kansas speedway yeah winning that race last Col- May. cole chimes in he said this product of uh everyone needs a trophy society if you're out no matter the reason them's the brakes yeah uh, i tend to agree with that yeah uh, but again, the reason why they come up with this waiver is they thought these drivers were getting back in the race yeah. cars and driving hurt when they shouldn't have been. And you're going to want the most popular driver. I mean, it, we're at the beginning of the season. This that we're not even talking. When we get in the mix of this thing, and you don't have Chase Elliott in the top running in this, you know, and the hunt mm-hmm. in this thing, it's that's a big damn deal, you know. And he and he even said it before. He they his team worked hard last year. I mean, in the off season, because they finished so badly at the end of the year, he worked hard. They, their team put in a lot more work this year, and he talked in uh, in depth about that. How much they they really worked to to have a good year this year. And man, now the whole team's behind the eight ball. I'm sure he'll, they'll do fine. They'll pick up some good top five finishes here and there. But I don't think you'll see a win. I don't. I don't know if you'll see a win until he gets back in the car. He put out a statement. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, Chase Elliott said, I appreciate all of the support that I've been got. I'm not sure I deserve it. But yeah, thanks to, to everything. And, you know, I think he's feeling really bad. Well, I'm that sure he is. He put I'm himself sure he's in that guilty. position. Yeah. And he didn't feel any better after his three teammates finished one, two, yeah. three yesterday. And he's sitting back at home uh, after a three hour surgery. His car finished 30, uh, 29th, yeah. Kirk. And you know, started he, 32nd. Josh Berry drove that. Yeah, car, Josh right? Berry. 
And you know it would have been a top five car if he'd have been in it. No doubt. No yeah. question about it. So I just, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, <laughs> those are the breaks, and this is, is what it happens. But I honestly think that if we have guys getting in the car hurt like that, that's not a it's good not thing. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Did you think Kyle Larson was going to win that race yesterday? I, yeah, I until that too. last yellow flag came out when Eric Amarola uh, got up into the wall. Yeah, Larson was going to win that race. So. Martin Truex Jr. is the reason why yeah. the five car didn't win the race. No, I he, think the real reason is that He William started Byron, behind Martin Truex, who, who had pit. old tires on his car, yes, but, and, he, and he didn't get the run. But when they came out of the pits, William Byron got the jump out of the pits ahead of Kyle Larson. No, he did. He did. He beat the, him out the of the The time pit. before that, Larson got out in front of William Byron. But having said all of that, I think William Byron had the faster car all day. I do, too. Yeah. So he really deserved to win the he, race. He led 176 laps. Right. And there, and that one pit stop when Larson was able to get out in front. Larson led 63 William laps. William Byron. Yeah. Larson led 63 laps. That last yellow flag doesn't come out. Larson's going to win the race. Yeah. When when Martin Truex didn't pit, he made that decision not to pit. I mean, we knew. That we, I don't blame him for making that decision. No, it's the beginning of the year. You got yeah. th- you. This is where you take your chance, right? I mean, man, you never know. Those tires might work. All I thought was. But should, should have Larson started behind his teammate yeah. instead of on the inside behind Truex. Truex. Yeah. That, yeah, that changed that's what everything. he should have done. I uh-huh. don't think it would have made any difference in the final outcome because I still don't think Larson would have gotten around William Byron even if he'd have started. Truex held him. up Larson. I think Larson used up a little bit. He just, just got to... held up behind, behind the but 19 car. do you still car. think that Larson would have passed William Byron on the racetrack to win that race? It'd I don't think a, he would have. It would have been a better race. It would have been a better race. It would have been a It would have been a It been a race to the finish. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I but, think Kyle Larson had a little bit for William Byron. But he used it up trying to get around Truex. And that, right. And that, but how about Corey LaJoy finishing in the top 20 two weeks in a row? That kid, he's He's a spire car. Let me tell you something. He had a top 10 run last week. You know, he was in the top 10 for a while there last week, and there would look like he was going to finish, you know, pretty – I don't remember what his finishing point was at Daytona, but finished 20 yesterday and stayed out of trouble. The car was clean. Uh, Corey LaJoy looking pretty good, man. Like you said, you you get in a few of these top 10, top 20 finishes early in the year, you're setting yourself up to put yourself in a pretty good position to – you win a race at one of these wild card races, like a Daytona spring race or, a, you know, something like that, or summer yeah. race, I mean. I mean, you never know. Uh, Kirk, let's uh, talk a little bit about Turkey Bowl yesterday down in Springfield. Uh, Bobby Pierce ended up winning that race down there. $10,075 payday for Bobby Pierce. And, uh, you know, when all these big heavy hitters were down there in Georgia and other places running, Bobby Pierce decides to go to Springfield, Springfield. for the Turkey Bowl. Right. So that's pretty cool. And uh, he was started fourth in that race, took the lead with about eight laps to go in that race to win. And that's the first of two weekends of the Turkey Bowl. They split it up into two weekends. Uh when it was wiped out due to the weather back Thanksgiving, they originally decided to have the whole thing this past weekend, but a lot of rain on the track and wet grounds and couldn't get everybody pitted, so they decided to split it up into two weekends. They'll come back 
not this weekend, but the weekend after that for the rest of the classes. And I think that's when Kenny Schrader and Kenny Wallace show up. Modifieds will be racing then. But they had open late models yesterday. And what they have? 20 cars? Had 20 cars start 20 the cars, main. yeah. And Bobby Pierce comes through with a win. Logan Martin led 33 laps of that race before Pearson was able to get around him. Martin started on the outside of the front row, and as I said, Pierce started fourth, but it took him uh, 33 laps before he was able to get around him. Dylan McCowan finished in third, Tony Jackson fourth, and former Show Me 100 winner, as is Bobby Pierce, Peyton Looney rounded out the top five yesterday down at Springfield. Glad they were able to get it in. There was a lot of question whether they were going to be able to. They had a they couldn't race on Saturday, but they I think they still open up the track for a practice. It was session. a beautiful day yesterday. But they were able to get it in yesterday. It was the the weather was perfect yesterday. Beautiful what was it? Day. About seventy degrees Almost yesterday? 70, yeah, seventy in some perfect places. day. Yeah. It couldn't have been better. So um, let's uh let's talk a little bit. Um, Kirk, let's talk about uh, USMTS down at Rocket. Rocket. Rocket Raceway Park in Petty, Texas had two day two nights of racing in the USMTS yesterday. Jake Tim coming through with the feature win over Tyler Wolf and Derek Ramirez. Tim started on the pole. Did you watch that race? I didn't. There I was didn't so much watch other it. racing going on. I didn't it's watch up it. on Race and Dirt, but I didn't get a chance to go take a look at it. Uh, but they had the big money show on Saturday down at the Rocket Raceway Park. And uh, Josh, uh, it was Barry that came through with the win uh, on Saturday night down at Rocket Raceway Park. Tom Barry who started on the outside of the front row, picked up the win in his 11X car and beat Terry Phillips to the line. Gary Christian finished second, Jason Hughes fourth, and Darren Fuquay rounded out the top five after he started 25th, started 25th and ended up fifth on Saturday. That Darren Fuquay is a hell of a race car driver, man. Get him back on the show, yeah. He's, yeah. He's a That's a hell of a charge, 25th to fifth. Now, Jake O'Neill, right behind him, started 21st. Uh, Brandon Gibbons, who finished 7th, started 22nd. So you had some three or four guys, along with Darren Fuquay, that came from the back of the pack to make a run at the top five on Saturday night. And Jake Tim, he he ended up winning that uh, modified feature. On Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, he won Sunday's race. That was a 50-lap race, too, wasn't it? Uh, On Saturday night. 50-lap race. Uh, I was going to look to see that. They didn't pay as much money on Sunday because that was uh, considered the makeup for one of the nights that they got rained out. They were supposed to race on Thursday and Friday night. And uh, so Saturday, they kept that the same as their big money race. And then Sunday uh, was to make up for one of the preliminary races that was rained out earlier. Yesterday's race was also a 50-lap race, so both of them were 50-lap races. Right. In Sonoda, Georgia, uh, Will Harrington picked up the win down there, a $10,000 victory, Kurt. That's the uh, Southern All-Star Series, the Spring Nationals Series, the Schaefer's Spring Nationals. 
right. Will Harrington out. Brandon Overton won the night before that. And uh, that was also in Georgia. So pay, Paid $10,053 to win. Yeah. Which, to those guys, that's not a lot of money. It's still a lot. It's, it's still, still a lot, lot of money. It's still a lot. But if you're Brandon Overton and some of these other guys we've been talking about, that's pocket change to those guys. It's only 500 to start. Paid 5000 for second, 3000 for third, and uh, 4000 for fourth, and 1500 for fifth. What is it, Brandon or uh, Jonathan Davenport probably won't even show up unless you pay at least twenty grand. I don't know that. He went. He, he races for some ten thousand dollar win races. But they they go for the big money. Those guys. Yeah, but uh, that's still pretty good money. Ten thousand dollars is still pretty good money. Yes, but in the grand scheme of things, the kind of money they're throwing out there now, you look. Oh, that's just ten thousand dollar win race. Yeah, but I still think the late model drivers will race for 10000 to win. Most of them will. But there are a handful of guys that uh, you wonder if they're going to show up for that. Mm. The Schaefer's Oil Spring National Series schedule, they're going to be at uh, Swingsboro Raceway in Springsboro, Georgia. Um, I think that's coming up here pretty quick. I think the defending winner of that race was Brandon Overton. And as I pointed out earlier in the week, he's not going to run for the like the Lucas Oil Points Championship or the the Championship of the World of Outlaws. He's uh, he's going to go where the money's at. He'll be at the Eldora races. You can bet on that. Yeah, he's won three late model dreams in a row. At Eldora Speedway, he's won one of the last three World 100s there. So, you know, he'll be at Eldora Speedway for those big money races, and he'll show up wherever they pay big money. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this weekend, yeah, I hope it doesn't snow at Port Royal Speedway. No. One of my favorite racetracks. That's the track that I want to see more than any racetrack that's on my bucket list. Yeah, when are you going to go there? Whenever I can. I'm going to go to Port Royal Speedway. I don't know if it's this year or when it is, but I'll be there. You, If you're going to the the Pennsylvania Sprint Week, it'll be this year for you, right? Yeah. Because I think they got two stops on the PA Sprint Week out there. It might be cheaper for me to just rent a motel room. Then take Fly a, out and rent a motel room? No, just drive my car oh. out there. You think it would be cheaper to do that? Hotel rooms are pretty expensive. You, you just don't know what's going to happen with a motorhome when you get out there. It could break down. Well, you had a lot of experience with that sort of thing, haven't uh, you? I, I've done it a, a few times. You're, you're a veteran at that. Yeah. One thing I've learned... Owning a motorhome, as the company does. It's not cheap. You're going to throw money at this thing. Be ready for that. Yeah. You're going to spend money if you own a motorhome. Hey, we got our camping spot up at the North Fairground up at Knoxville all locked and loaded. Yep, I know. So if it's not this motorhome, it'll be something else, I'm sure. Yeah, I I can't wait to get back. You know, I'm going to go to Knoxville a little bit more this year. I think. Sure, why not? Take the thing up. It, you know, it's the campground is open at the beginning of the race season, so take it up there, get it parked. And right. 
you'll be ready to go. Just Unless you, you know, you could, you know, if you needed to go out to PA or a couple other places, I guess you could do it. But that that's a home for it right there the whole I, summer. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to tell you, Kirk, that I'm going to try to go up to Liberty RV and I'm going to try to trade our motorhome for a smaller RV. It just has a couple beds in it. More economical to operate. Yeah. Well, it, 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 we got a big generator out there in the garage. It still works? It still runs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to let you make all those decisions. You're You're the guy that handles all that. Right. I'm just here to... Here to pay for it. Help you pay for it. Help pay for <laughs> it. You don't pay for everything, do you? Racing Boys pays, pays for, for a lot everything. of that, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> they pay for everything. But anyway, we got our uh, camp spot all locked and loaded up at Knoxville. So uh, ready to go. But Eldora Speedway is another place you really need a motorhome. Yeah. At Eldora. So if we're going out there for the million-dollar race and the King's Royal weekend, we better figure out what we're going to do out there because uh if you stay in a motel at El eldora you're probably going to be driving a long way to the hotel room at eldora speedway my guess i would say probably a good hour or so yeah yeah so the the way to do it at eldora as well as knoxville is the is the motorhome mm-hmm how about old Ross Perot Jr. buying a, a Fontana racetrack for five hundred and fifty nine? All but million. ninety acres, right? Right. Yeah. They, they're five hundred and fifty nine million. NASCAR's going to keep ninety acres of it, so yeah. they can possibly build a half mile racetrack. Do you on think it? they'll build a short track there? I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think it'd ever happen. Does ninety is ninety acres? Big enough to put a half-mile racetrack on it and hold cup racing? Yes. I think so. $550 million. $559 million. $59 million is what they sold that for. Do you blame NASCAR for doing that? I don't. Well, first of all, the property out in California has just become so expensive. Yeah. I mean, if you if you were NASCAR, you're offered five hundred and fifty nine million dollars for Roger Penske. Didn't he owns that racetrack, doesn't he? Well, he did, but NASCAR they bought it from him. Well, Penske sold the track. I'm not exactly sure to who, but the ISC Corporation had it, and of course, ISC turned into NASCAR, and uh, they they controlled that racetrack. Hmm. Penske built the track and then sold it. What they need to do is build a racetrack like Iowa Speedway out there. How many acres is on that property, do you think? I don't know. At Newton? Let's just I'm not find sure. out. Kurt. I'm just not sure how big that is. I just wonder if 90 acres, acres is big is enough to build another racetrack on it and have you know, conduct a NASCAR Cup Series race. You know, know Iowa Speedway only holds 25,000 people. Right. 
Yeah, and the infrastructure on the interstate up there off I-80 is really not to the standards that you would want to draw in, you know, 60, 70,000 people on that property. Uh, so you'd have to get How that. How many acres is Iowa Redown up on? there at the Iowa Speedway. NASCAR owns that racetrack. Now, what their plans are for the future, I don't know. What we do know is there's going to be IndyCar races on that property for the next few years because Hy-Vee and IndyCar have uh, a long-term contract. They're going to do the double IndyCar weekend again in July. They quit having Xfinity and Truck Series races up there at Iowa Speedway. They don't have that anymore, so... I think they've had an ARCA race up there and a double IndyCar weekend. That's the only thing going on at Iowa Speedway. What's going to happen in the future up there? I don't know. It's a great facility, and uh, I kind of hope that maybe someday they bring back NASCAR. But we also talked about maybe Iowa Speedway would be a great place to have their dirt track, make that into a dirt track facility instead of uh, redoing the track at Bristol every year and spending the kind of money to put dirt on that racetrack. Why not have a permanent dirt track facility in their arsenal of racetracks? And Iowa Speedway, with the great quality of dirt in Iowa, would be the place to do it. Right. I'm I'm still looking, trying to find out how many acres that's on. But I think that's... Uh, that's what they said. Only 90 acres remains of that property in Fontana, right? I think that's where I read. 90 acres is all that remains. Well, out in Fontana? Right. Yeah. I think that's it. That's right. And NASCAR hasn't come out with any definite plans or uh, renderings of what they're going to build out there. There's, there's nothing that's been announced. They just say, we hope to build a half-mile racetrack at Fontana. They haven't really come out and said it's going to happen yet, which makes a lot of people think, is it ever going to happen? I have my doubts whether we'll ever see a half-mile racetrack on that property. We may have seen everything we're going to see. I think, racing they, wise I think they're at just going to close it know. down, I, in my eyes. I don't see them reopening Fontana. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm with you. And Southern California market is is a huge market for NASCAR. You know, in years past, they had races, the old Riverside Speedway out there. They had that big Ontario racetrack that was uh, doubled to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. If you remember when that was built way back in the day, it was... Uh, a track patterned after Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That track went away. They had the old Riverside Road Course out there. It was out there close to where the Fontana track is now. It went away. 226 acres. At Iowa Speedway? Yeah. So 90 acres is not big enough to hold a cup race, build a half-mile racetrack on that property, in my opinion. Well, if you're limited to the amount of people that you can sit there, I think... You could probably make it work. Now, what do you know about the <coughs> Irwindale racetrack out there? How, have you ever been there before? No. Mm -mm. Uh, how big is that facility? Is that big enough to build it up and make it into a NASCAR track? I question that. 
Uh, I, I'd probably say that uh, that property in Irwindale is probably worth too much money. So you think eventually that track's going to go away? Yeah. Are they racing at that track now? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they are or not. And the Coliseum, that's not an answer to have a points it says it's paying 63 race. acres. You can't, you can't hold a points race at the Coliseum because you can't put enough race cars on that racetrack and you can't do pit stops. So that's not an option. It says it's 63 acres is Irwindale. 63 acres. That's not big enough. So that's out of the equation. 63 acres. At Irwindale. Mm. So it's got 220 acres on the property up at Iowa Speedway. So that tells you that 90 might work. Says they're using No, for a cup race? Yeah. Didn't you say that there's 220-some acres at Iowa Speedway? Yeah. That's a lot more than 90. Well, I know, but if you limit the amount of people that can go to the race, if if you only can run, say, fifty thousand people at a race, why you could make you could make ninety acres work, I think. Yeah, but they got two hundred twenty acres on the Iowa Speedway property, and they only seat twenty five or thirty thousand people at yeah. that racetrack and they use they use up that entire property for all of the events that they had there in the past including the IndyCar races they have up there. Well, they probably have a plan to make it work. 90 acres to build a half mile racetrack at the cup level. You know, Riv- I, I question that's going to work. Kirk Riverside Stadium was on 20 20- Two acres. Yeah, but they didn't have NASCAR Cup races there. Right. But it was still a quarter-mile racetrack right. on, a, on a little but bit. How, what, a 1,000 people showed up to watch? Oh, you know, Riverside Riverside Stadium uh, back in the day would pull in 1,500, 2,000 people. It, 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 Riverside Stadium was one of the most popular racetracks in Kansas City. But that's a lot different than hosting a NASCAR Cup Series race right. and putting 100,000 people in there, or at least 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. Hey, speaking of Riverside Stadium, they built a new Red X store on that property. Right? I went down there. Is it open now? Yeah. Now, are they doing anything? Deidre and I went down there this weekend. Do they have anything inside the building that recognizes the old Riverside Stadium? You know what they need to do? They need to tear down the old Red X and build a racetrack there. Yeah, but do you think that would be let's go you to think frog they would be allowed to let's do to, that? Let's go to Frog. He knows, he hey, Frog, what are you doing? Well, you know, the reason they kept that 80 acres at the entrance of that industrial area is to do a retail spot. Oh. Do you know how much money that 80 acres is going to make with all the people that are coming in and out of that industrial area? Frog, do you think they'll ever race again in Fontana? No. Me neither. No. No. That's not big enough enough acreage left to even try to think about putting a racetrack there, is it? Not even close. No. No. There'll be a great big... Bucky's or something on that property. <laughs> hey, you know what they should? You know what they need to do, Frog? 
They need to tear yeah. down the old Red X and build a racetrack there. I know that's right. That would be they awesome, need, wouldn't it? If they have a nice facility, they'd fill it up. You think that that would be the the city government and and they would allow that to happen? Nope. That no, that whole area is is upscale now. They've got apartments, you know, upscale living. You're not. You, you know the it. problem with with Mr. Young and what he the the real problem he had. Riverside was grandfathered in, and that racetrack could still be there today if he decided not to shut it down. Because Mr. Young told me himself, he said. The reason I shut that racetrack down was was because all the promoters that went in there, all they did was make enough money to where they could buy a new house, new cars, and whatever, and they wouldn't spend a dime on the racetrack. And that's they wanted what him to do it. Mr. Young, Mr. Young told me that himself. They were expecting him to do it. He yeah. was the owner. Yeah, that whole area sure. is blown up with very high rise and that whole shopping district. I don't think, and you're going to have the new um, um, soccer stadium down there. You're not going to see any type of racing in the. Hey, I did hear that uh, inside the new Red X store that uh, now that I think about it, talked to somebody the other night that they put a mural up there and they've got a Uh, spot inside that store that recognizes that new store is on the spot of Riverside Stadium. If you would go to my Facebook page, you would see the mural that I took a picture of it. It's on my Facebook page, and it's a great, um, a, a a great tribute to the racetrack. There. That's cool. They did that. Yeah, I that, saw that's it. Awesome. It was pretty cool. Did you see that frog? Yeah. Hey, by the way, congratulations, Grandpa. Yeah, I know it, man. That it's that's uh, big news in my family. I've been waiting a long time to be a grandpa. Wait till you have to start building all those cribs and dressers and <laughs> everything's going to drive you crazy. Or just spending the money, <laughs> right? Yeah, there you go. How many? There you go. Are you a grandpa? No, I've got one son's thirty-five, and he's he isn't scared of girls, but he's cautious. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Kind of like so, kind of like Scotty Cook. Scotty Cook's never been married or had any kids. Well, I waited until I was thirty-five, just had one, so yeah. I'm going to be everybody else's grandfather. Good to see you at the banquet the other night, there, Frog. Yeah, yeah, you that did was a fun. good job, Kurt. Kirk yeah. does a great job as an MC. We had a good time out there. Oh, he's unbelievable. I missed Rick Beebe being there, though. Yeah, well, and to be honest with you. I went just to see Rick Beebe. He, when he got introduced to asphalt racing, I made him fly with me up to South Bend, Indiana. We did a, a, a chassis school with Dick Trickle and and Ray Dillon, and we spent the whole weekend up there. And the whole time he was up there, he told me, man, I just don't know if I can do this asphalt. Later to find out, you son of a bitch! I should never took him. <laughs> right? He turned out, you know, he turned out so good. And you know, Rick probably the one thing about Rick was he was low confident till he got got it figured out, and then he went like hell. 
you know, well, he, he was such a uh, he, he was the uh, rookie instructor for ASA. Whenever the rookies yeah. would come in, he was the guy that would have to teach the rookies what to do. He had mentored Jimmy Johnson, right? Did he not? Yeah. Well, well, Dick Trickle was mine when I didn't run a lot of races, but Dick Trickle was that then, and Junior Hanley, and. Junior was a wild man. Yeah. He, he was a lot of fun. Tell me more about Dick Trickle. I want to hear Dick Trickle's story. Well, I can tell you this. I've been out all night with him, and everybody thought he was a drinker, and he was a sipper. And he would take that drink and throw it behind him and look like he'd drank all night. And he had been drinking a whole beer the whole evening. You know what? And, uh, you know what Dick Trickle told me one time? He told me, he said, I only need an hour of sleep for every hundred laps. I got to run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many we, cigarettes we would he need? To, we roomed next to each other at Daytona. And if I was going to spend some money on something that I shouldn't have, he would say, man, that would be a carburetor. Don't spend that money. <laughs> <laughs> right. He'd me up. He, he was pretty frugal. Yeah, it's a pretty sad day when we heard about uh, his passing. Yeah, you know, you know, he lost that granddaughter. Yeah. So that car wreck just right out on the highway, and it just broke his heart. Yeah. Broke his heart. Yeah, no doubt. Sad. Who, anyway. who was the who was a better short track racer, Larry Phillips, Dick Trickle, or Rich Bickle? Well, I'm going to say it like this. Regionally, they were all the best in their region, but Dick Trickle was the best when he got out of his region. Right. Does that does that make sense? Yep, it does. You know, Larry regionally, well, everywhere he went, he was he was like Trickle. You know, he was going to win a race if he had the whatever it took. And but Dick, you know, he'd go anywhere and just be on top of his game, you know. I just just admired him for his tenacity. He was unbelievable. Trickle wasn't as big a weekly racer as Larry Phillips was, though. Larry but, Phillips but, was more but of a the thing about Larry, I mean, uh, Dick Trickle is, is that we were blessed to watch him race at I-70 Speedway all those years, right? Oh, gosh. Gosh, people have no idea how lucky they were to get to see that 99 show up. Yeah. You know, I still stay in contact with Tom Refner. Uh, I don't know if you all see him on Facebook, but he's a pretty regular, and he's on the I-70 bat on their website, you know, the fan site or whatever they call it. And so I touch base with Tom pretty regularly. Oh, so that's Tom good. Refner, he's, that's the name. Yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, he had 88 Javelin. That was pretty spectacular. Yep. And one, I think he won 39 or 40 races in one season. You know, he was unbelievable. You know who was pretty good in his day was Joe Shear. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, Joe's son came and borrowed my shop at my house, which is just right behind Corner Cafe. And Joe Shear was working for Larry Foyt. And. Joe Jr. now, Joe Shear Jr. 
came to my house, spent the whole week with Larry Foyt. They used our computer to, to do their sim work and played basketball on the basketball court right behind the house. How about that? And Butch Miller was running the whole operation. So the two big 18-wheelers, and I cleaned the shop out for a week, and they literally stayed at our house. And hmm. uh, Joe Shear Jr.'s almost genius. You yeah, know, he's yeah, no doubt. he's so sharp. Yeah, he's really but, sharp, yeah. Yeah, I don't even think I got an autograph. My father-in-law died the day they showed up, and we were basically just turned the keys over to him, and they just stayed at the shop in the house all week. You got Paul so, Newman's autograph, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got it in my safety deposit box. <laughs> I don't know what it's worth, but I've got to start getting rid of some of this junk. Junk? Uh, but I don't know how to do it. Do you still have any of your old ARCA cars? Well, I've got the old one that I raced forever, sitting out next to the barn. It's about to rust to the ground, which is sad. But I've, I, you know, I've got that car that was in the Dale Earnhardt, the three movie, for the ESP of Dale Earnhardt story. Right. And I've got it, and it runs and drives. Oh wow! But, uh, I've still got it, and I've got to figure out what to do with it because I can't take it with me. Right. So. So and anybody it, that's it watched the three movie, Frog here's got the car. I, 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 I'm leaving all my junk to my kids. They can figure it I'm out. Gonna, I'm going to get rid of all mine. Uh, I just cleaned my father's out who passed away a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to do that to my son. So well, I'm working it, on it. As, as I know, it is very hard to get rid of your parents' stuff. Yeah, I know yeah. that feeling. I, I've been there and done that. I, I had to get rid of a, a lot of my mom's stuff. That uh, Not easy. It is not easy, and especially well, the chair that she she sat in all the time um, when she was sick with cancer. She sat in this reclining yeah. chair all the time. And that was the hardest thing to get rid of. Yeah, I'm with you on all that, Frog. I, I couldn't agree with you more about all I don't want anybody to miss. You know, I just don't want anybody to have to deal with all my stuff, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm working at it. I'm kind of playing a social media thing and have gotten in touch with a lot of people that are doing the historic stuff and kind of reaching out and, so people are asking me about it, so we'll see what happens. It's nice to get ahead of the game and, and find people that actually want your stuff, which I, you well, know, exactly. I would think that there would be that. There, there, there'd be uh, I, I, I think my kids will want all my yeah. stuff. Yeah. Hey, oh, let, you're just kidding yourself. Uh, that's like that's like one of Jimmy John's. Right. Hey, <laughs> you're uh, just kidding you. What's your favorite Leonard Skinner song? <laughs> you know, I I can't tell you. I'm so. I'm. People don't know this, but I'm dyslexic, and stuff. I I don't remember things very well when it comes to songs. And I love Leonard Skinner. Was it free? Was it free? Or what he? What was that one song? Um, Kirk, I think the one that mentioned earlier. What was that? Yeah, yeah. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. You know, not my favorite. He, not my favorite Leonard Skinner song. Because you heard it so many times, right? You just heard it. 
too many played. times. The reason it's my favorite song is because it was a long version of it that they did in concert that night. I never right. will forget it. Yeah. Well, he had obviously, the guy that passed away obviously was having heart issues. Right. And yeah. is what I kept reading that he'd had some problems with his heart off and on for the last two or three years. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why they quit like touring. Yeah. That's why they quit touring. Yeah. All right, Frog. You know, Thanks so much for calling in, buddy. We always appreciate you. Hey, that 80 acres, I promise you, is going to be the biggest buckies you ever saw. <laughs> yeah. No, I tend to agree with you. All right. Have buddy. a nice week. All right. See you we'll later, see you, Frog. Frog. No, I think he's right about that. I, I, you know, I just don't think we're going to see a racetrack on that Montana yeah. side. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Uh, again, today's mostly motorsports has been brought to you by Rod and Supply, uh, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints, and they're going to be having their first race down at CMS on April 29th. Is that right, Kurt? April 29th. That's the same weekend as the draft, right? Right. That that's going to be a big week in Kansas City. Are you going to go down there? Yeah, I kind of think about it. Yeah, go down there and check it out. Yeah. Sure. I might. You're you going to go down there, Todd, and watch the draft? Probably go <clears throat> go on a little bit a, on a day. Saturday after the show. After we get done with track talk, I'll probably just swing down there. and Because um, it's an all-day deal. Saturday There'll be a lot of people down there, won't there? Yeah, Friday will be. Thursday, Friday is going to be. Do they have, like, concerts and oh, yeah. music and stuff like that yeah. going on? So Saturday, the picks will be farther apart. There's more time between picks, and there's going to have some more entertainment and stuff going on down there. So my thought is I'm, I'm not, I'd am I'm, like to go down there to watch the primetime stuff because it's going to be pretty awesome, but I want to watch it at home to catch right. what it looks like. But I will, I'm probably going to run down there during the day after track For a talk. little bit. Yeah, we get off here at 10 o'clock that the, the – thing kicks off at 9 a.m so we get done here at 10 i'll be able to roll down there probably catch a couple picks and uh head back home and probably able to, i mean depending on the weather that's that's another yeah, thing too it, it depends on the weather you know, a lot we're, we get people don't realize here in kansas city march can it can be cold it can be really is this supposed to be a nice whole week um not not this no, not this, not this week, week no not this today's week. it and then after today, it's yeah. supposed to start dropping it's again. It's supposed to be around 60 today. Got yeah, the Big 12 six. tournament in town this weekend. Yeah, that's, that's another thing I was going to say is if anybody's you in You play town, on Thursday, don't you, Kurt? Thursday at 1130. I'm not sure I'm going to be there for that. Yeah, Why not? I don't know. You, you know, they just, they're playing the same team they beat on Saturday. They went down to Baylor on Saturday yeah, turn and play kicked again. their butt. And now they play them again on Thursday seventh-ranked team in the nation. Can they beat them three times in one year? I don't know. Well, they're Baylor's digging digging in for that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Baylor's going to be out for blood on Thursday. Yeah. Kirk, so, we're supposed to uh, do an interview with Carson Macedo this week. Sometime this week. And we're we'll we're going to record it, and we'll play it on Saturday morning. We thought we were going to get Carson on today, but, you know, it's race day. He's a busy guy, right. so he's getting ready to go racing tonight. But we'll get him on. We thought we had him. We week thought week we had him today. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll play that on Saturday morning. So Perfect. thanks everybody for tuning in to Mostly Motorsports. Again, it's all been brought to you by Rod and Supply, featuring the Power Eye Midwest Lightning Sprints. For Todd Surprise, for Kirk Elliott, I'm Scott Trailer saying thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Monday right here on Mostly Motorsports.
Go harder, faster, stronger with Rod and Supply. Whether you are running industrial, farming equipment, or a race car, Rod and Supply has the assortment of rod ends, radius rods, and specialty products that will help you lead the field in performance. Our superior design means our rod ends last longer and perform better, giving you the edge on the track and saving you money. Contact Rod and Supply or order online today at rodandsupply.com. We don't just sell them, we race them. Rodandsupply.com. Serving the racing community for over 30 years.